This is Jessica. And this is Kelly. And this is the Chasing Brighter podcast. Hello. On today's podcast, Kelly and I welcome my good friend, Samantha Alvarez-Benowitz. She is the Director of Clinical Services at the New York Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children, or NYPCC. She has close to 20 years of experience working with underserved children and families in the New York City and Philadelphia areas. Prior to working at NYSPCC, she was a Senior Director of Mental Health and Anti-Human Trafficking at Covenant House New York, the largest youth shelter in New York City. And she has held clinical and managerial roles at Good Shepherd Services, a foster care agency based in New York City. A little bit more about NYSPCC. It was founded in 1875, and it is the first child protection agency in the world. Its founders wrote the basic tenets of child protection laws in the U.S. that we still use today. It remains dedicated to reducing the incidences and impacts of child abuse and neglect through prevention programs that improve the safety of children. Their mission is to respond to the complex needs of abused and neglected children and those involved in their care by providing the best counseling, legal, and educational services that they can offer. Check out this great interview with Samantha Alvarez-Benowitz. all of our friends who we think are doing amazing things and amazing work. And so, you know, today we just wanted to hear a little bit about your story, about the work that you do, how you got into the work that you do, um, and why, you know, what you're doing is important. So thank you again for joining us today. You're welcome. Um, All right. So you want me to start with like what I'm doing now and then what I've done before? Okay, great. So um, I am a licensed clinical social worker. I graduated from Penn back in 2005. Um, and uh, actually, I guess I'm, I'm going back and then I'm going to go forward. Um, and initially worked at a foster care agency that I had worked at before. Before I went to grad school, it's called Good Shepherd Services. Um, I was a social worker there in a group home for uh, teenage girls. And, um, you know, I've always been interested in working with young people who've been in the child welfare system or who've been impacted by uh, the child welfare system, by abuse, neglect, um, having had things go wrong for them in their early childhood and adolescence. Um, and working at this group home was really, you know, it was really helpful for me in terms of learning to work with these young people. I was a direct practice therapist there uh, and eventually sort of moved up and was supervising. I left for about seven years. I was not working and I was home with my two daughters. And then when they were both in school, I decided that I wanted to go back and work in a similar environment. I went back to Good Shepherd Services actually and worked in that same group home for about a year. And then um, decided that I wanted to try something different because I basically only worked at the same organization for my entire career. And so I got a job at Covenant House New York. So uh, Covenant House, at at least in New York, Covenant House is throughout the United States and also in Latin America and Canada. Um, But their New York location is their largest location. It's also the largest uh, 
shelter serving young adults. Yeah, uh, it's like a, a home a homeless shelter for children. Yeah. So yeah. it's a homeless shelter for for yes, I you can say children definitely right. The the youngest kids who are there are sixteen, and then it goes up to twenty one. So they're so they're young adolescent. Um, yeah. yeah, and so I worked. Um, uh, supervising the social workers there. And then I eventually led the department, the mental health department, um, as well as our anti-human trafficking unit there. So we work, the Covenant House works with a lot of young people who um, have experienced human trafficking and um, both, you know, locally in the United States, but then also um, we do have some young people who come from other countries who've been trafficked. Um, and so just working with them and working with the, the mental health team there, it was, you know, working with these young people is just, they're incredible. They're incredibly resilient. Uh, I've learned a lot about sort of what's happened to them and then how to help them kind of cope and move through the world um, because they're so young, right? So they have so much ahead of them and sort of helping them stabilize uh, at their young age, I think is really impactful and helpful for them for their future. Um, and then a few months ago, I, I came here to where I'm actually sitting in my office at um, the New York Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children. It's the largest, sorry, not the largest, the oldest child protection agency uh, in the world. It was founded in 1875. Um, and uh, the clinical team here uh, works with young people who've experienced trauma. Um, and then we also work with families where there's been um, domestic violence um, and they've been court ordered to have their visits supervised by a therapist. So I, I oversee um, the therapists who work here and then the clinical services that we do. Are you do, are you seeing anyone clinically? Are you doing any individual therapy now? I'm or? not. Yeah. I'm not. Um, I miss it a little bit. but and, and I may at some point, but right now I'm just overseeing um clinicians. One thing that I will be doing soon, actually, um, but I just still need to be trained is we have a crisis debriefing program, which is really quite interesting. We work with other, um, not just youth serving organizations, but other uh, nonprofits in New York City. Um, so far, it's just in New York City, but a lot of them are um, our debriefings are virtual, so we probably could do it outside of New York as well. But we work with um, organizations where something has happened, right? So whether there's been, you know, a child fatality or a staff fatality or um, staff have been threatened by their clients, um, you know, these things happen, um, unfortunately, in the field that we work in. And so our executive director created um, a curriculum to work with um uh, providers directly when something has happened. Yeah. 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 That we, we call that also or, or critical incident debriefing. Like I've done some of that here, right. Kind of same uh, thing, but, but a larger scope. So like if, um, if anything happens anywhere in a workplace, they can send in a clinician that will be the, that be there to provide help for others. Like I did that when we had the October 1st shooting and you'd just be kind of okay. sent out to different places to, um, just be a source of support and to help people debrief on what happened. Oh. Um, but I feel I'm I'm so interested in where you are now. That's fascinating to me. I was being such a nerd and reading like <laughs> the 
the 150th anniversary brochure and reading about the history of your organization. And so really at the history, at the core of it, it's kind of, correct me if I'm wrong, kind of what we think of as social services where they were like finding out children were being abused and neglected and looking at how they could remove them from the home. Yeah. Um, And, but, but now are you guys doing that at all? Because I mean, now that's been centralized, right? And the, and it's a government thing. Correct. So right now, um, the Administration for Children's Services, which is the child welfare organization for New York City, that they they will they get involved with like, you know, if something happens in a family and they have to go out and meet with the family and make a decision about whether or not a child is going to go into foster care. They're the ones who do that. Um, We basically we work with um, children who've experienced trauma. So more uh, like a little over 50 percent of the children that we work with, actually it's more than that, maybe it's closer to 70% of the children that we work with um, have been either in foster care or are involved with ACS. So um, so we work with those young people, you know, again, either if they've been removed or maybe they're staying home with their parents, but something has happened and that's why they've come to the attention of ACS. And they get a referral and you guys do a lot of uh, clinical programming. Exactly, so we do, um, we do trauma-informed work, and then we also do a, uh, use an evidence-based model called trauma-focused cognitive behavior therapy. Um, we are free, so we don't charge. We don't charge insurance. We don't bill any of the providers. Um, I'm sorry, not any of the providers. Any of the organizations who refer. Um, and you know, we feel like that's really important. So any of the young people that we work with, they either have to be foster care involved or they're um they have to live in a home where there are 200 percent below the poverty line um so that's those you know those are the young people that we work with at least clinically um and then we also do this program where we um have uh supervised visits and we call them therapeutic supervised visits because um a therapist is in the room um observing visits and then coaching parents um and then we also have a parenting group anybody who's participating in that program with us also attends a parenting group. Oh, so the, would that be parents that don't have their, don't have custody of their children? So for them, yes, yes. So sometimes, so a hundred percent, the visiting parent does not have custody of their ch- child or children. Um, the, what we, who we call the custodial parent, the one where the, the, the parent where the children live are, is either the other biological parent or sometimes it's the foster parent. Sometimes a child is not living with either of their biological parents, and so the custodial parent of the is um, is a foster parent. But sometimes yeah. it's the other parent. So, like there might be an incident of domestic violence between two parents. One parent is the one coming to visit, and the other is the one bringing the child for the visits. So we have lots of safety protocols in place. We have separate waiting rooms for families. Um, we have security because, you know, there's often um, very serious incidents that have happened between the two parents. And so we want to make sure that everybody is safe. So I know you haven't been with your organization too long, but I mean, in general, just your field, how have you seen it change with COVID, especially just, you know, the remote learning and just what we hear in the news, right, about adolescents and kind of what their struggles are? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think um, so. In some ways, things have got have been helpful because we've been able to utilize telehealth. Um, it's interesting, at least here at NYSPCC, we work the adolescents that we work with. We found um, prefer telehealth. Um, mm-hmm. Our the younger kids, for sure, you know, 
we we think developmentally it's more important for them to come in here. But for our adolescents, we offer both options. Um, and often we're using a hybrid model with them. So sometimes they're coming into the office. Sometimes we're um, meeting with them over Zoom. We've actually found that um, we've had more consistent appointments being made when we since we've switched over to this sort of hybrid option because we don't have people canceling because they can't get they there because they, they can't get there, you know, because yeah. they're having a bad day or things are difficult, you know, or they got home late from school or whatever's going on. Right. So we've had, um, or they have a doctor's appointment and then they've got to run home, you know, whatever it is, we've actually found that we've had more consistent visits as a result. Um, but I think just in our field, it's been hard, you know, we, when, especially I was, working at Covenant House uh, throughout the pandemic. Um, and the staff there were essential workers, right? So they were showing up every single day. They, there was not a day that the, the shelter closed. We were open the entire time, um, which meant that the staff needed to physically be there. And some staff were working from home and um, or, or doing sort of hybrid work, but like there needed to be staff there every day, including the mental health staff. Like we made sure that we had staff available the entire time. Um, so it's, it's, been a challenge in terms of, you know, taking care of yourself, I think, mm -hmm. and then also <laughs> taking care of your clients. That's been really tough, um, I think, in general in my field. Um, but How but is I, it now? Or do you yeah. feel it's getting better? Or... I do think it's getting better. I mean, I like to be hopeful always <laughs> with everything, um, but I do. I think, um, you know, People are coming back in. We we are able to offer different options. And I think for for clinicians, it's Ooh. nice also to be able to be hybrid. Like I yeah, work from home two days a week, um, and I really enjoy that. Right, I'm able to get other things done or focus specifically on on certain parts of my job when I'm at home. And um, so I, I appreciate that. And I think the the clinical team here, they they also are um, hybrid. And I think they appreciate having that flexibility as well. So that's, I, there's such, I think there's thing. such a wealth of resources on the East coast or like, I know I lived in Philadelphia, right? Like there's like for you to be offering no cost therapy is blowing my mind right now, but I live in Nevada and it's like the wild, wild west, right? Like we're a new, newer state. We're a newer city. We don't have you know, some an, an organization that has been established since like 1875, right? Yeah. Um, and so I just think that's so incredible because I know here getting a therapist, I mean, I, I get texts all the time, hey, I need a therapist. Do you know of anybody? I know everybody I know has a wait list. Yeah. Nobody knows taking new people. It we're overwhelmed and inundated still. And then I I then I have I had a mom. And my my kids school tell me I was saying something about the children's learning being impacted by COVID and um and she has like two master's degree in education and she was like no they're no they're not what are you talking about our children aren't impacted by COVID I was like okay I don't know what to tell you but just like yeah like my Kelly and I were talking my sixth grader Dominic um they have a new class because kids were coming back weird, you know, like that's what she said. she's like, kids weren't like, right. And so we're trying to like, almost like reintegrate them into society with this new class that's kind of, you know, teach, re-teach, re reprogramming them on how to be a human. <laughs> yeah, socially it's been like yeah. so challenging, right? So I think, um, you know, I, I agree. It's been such a 
challenging time for kids, for adults, for everybody, right? Like we're all getting used to like, okay, now we could, are we wearing masks? Are we not wearing masks? Are we, you know, like, what's yeah, that? you guys were locked up for a long time. Like the casinos are very important in Nevada. <laughs> and so the casinos were opened. You know, I look back, you know what I mean? I'm seriously, like we were open by June, 2020. Oh um, and I know there were a lot of restrictions, not everything was open, but it's like interesting because we went to DC in um, you know, 2022 spring and we were like, they were just opening up and we yeah. were like, what? We were just like, whoa. Cause like the West coast, you know, it was just totally different over yeah. here. Um, and so uh, not that we didn't have rules and regulations, but like, it was just totally different. Well, totally you guys different. could be outside more too. Absolutely. I, mean, I don't know. Like yeah. New York, there's been like the sheds of like the, the restaurant sheds. They're still up and you're yeah. like, I don't want to sit outside in December. Like I don't, you know, I love to eat out, but I don't want to sit outdoors. Yeah. There's yeah. <laughs> like heaters. Yeah. Just like Yeah, it's been you, you know, I feel like I was around, thinking about this the sure. other day where I feel like just eating out has permanently changed yeah. for me. Right. Like I don't want to do it as much as I used to. Yeah. Mostly also, it's just not the great experience, right? The staffing is slow. It's hard to get into the restaurants you may want to go to. And yeah. it's just like the whole thing is more of an effort than it used to be, I feel like. Yeah, I well, and Kelly knows I have my my third child has broken us. And just going in public <laughs> with my children at this point, it's like, oh, that's overwhelming. So I'm like, oh, we'll just stay. Right. We'll just stay in. It's the third then- child. Yeah. My sister has three now too, and it's the same thing. She's like, I can't. You're just it. tired, <laughs> broken. That's what happens. Um, but and and how has that, um, ha- how has that been, um, for you? So you took seven years off. How was that making that decision, and how was that reentering for you, reentering? I know. So I call it my seven year maternity leave because I went back <laughs> to the same agency. I was like, oh, <laughs> seven years, nothing's changed. Um, it, you know, it was hard. I think it was harder, at least personally, for me to leave the field than to re-enter, mm-hmm. just in terms of my own mind, like where I was at. Like I was ready to go back. Um, when I went back, I also, but I did not have the easiest time finding a job. Um, so I felt really, I was really grateful for my old organization for having taken me back. Um, I mean, I left on good terms and and I had had always a good relationship with them. So I think that obviously that, that helped. Um, but, um, it was hard. I was trying to like feel out other options possibly. And that was not happening. And I think probably because I had this huge seven year gap in my resume. Um, and leaving was, was challenging. I, you know, I worked really hard in school to get my degree and I, um, felt like I will, you know, I enjoyed my job a lot. I love the team that I worked on. I love the young people that I was working with. Um, but I also felt like I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to do both things well. So like being a mom and then also the job that I had was really intense. Like I was supervising a whole team and they needed me. Right. Um, and I felt like I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to do that. Um, so I, you know, I feel very lucky that I was able to afford being not being employed for seven years. Um, so and, you know, my kids are great and I'm, you know, super glad that they're in school and doing well. What and grades are they in now? They are in eighth and fifth. 
just really crazy. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Eighth and fifth. So high school. Gabby is how old? She is ninth. So I didn't realize that our oldest were so close in age. I think they're like a year and a half apart because Sonia, so in New York, the cutoff is um, December 31st. So like both of my kids are fall babies. So like Mm. Sonia is still 12, but she's in eighth grade. She'll be 13 next month. And then Eleanor is in fifth grade and she turns 10 in the end of November. And so. Samantha's children are very tiny. They're and very tiny. my children were giant babies. <laughs> and so you'd be like, oh, your baby is one and mine is five. And you're like, no, she's four. Jessica, she's four Gabby and go. Sonia. And now you, you're right. Like Gabby looks like she's like 10 years older. Than her. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. But that's so, that's so fun. And so how do you think, I know Kelly and I talk so much about getting that balance of being, wow. you know, we're, we're, we coined this term self full instead of selfish, right? Yeah. So how do you know when to pour into yourself and then when it goes to the job and the kids and the family, like, what do you think you do to get that balance? Yeah. You know, so I often walk to work. So my, I, I live about 40 blocks from my job. Uh, so it takes like, 45 minutes to an hour. I walk through Times Square, which is actually not fun. That's that part of, <laughs> but that is actually a little bit stressful because there's like a billion people walking <laughs> at the same time. But most of my walk is actually very pleasant. And it's like a time where I can like just listen to music or sometimes I talk to my mom. Like I, it's just a time for me to like, I'm by myself, right? Like, um, and yes, it's in between being home and going to work, but like, it is a time that it's just me. Um, and so, and you're I getting exercise it, and it's exercise, right? So it's just, it's overall, like I try to do it every single day. Like I literally have like bought shoes just for my walks and my old, when I worked at Covenant House is the same thing there. I actually currently work only a few blocks away from my old job. So it's a really nice opportunity for me to do that sort of be self-ball. Um, Cause there's other things I do here and there, but I think this is something that's like my consistent, like every day, this is what I do. I could take the subway, the subway would be much faster, but like, it's not really pleasant, <laughs> especially since COVID is like, yeah, well, I'm all stuff. about maximizing, like I prepare all, so I'm in the burbs, right? So mine's yeah. about the drive. Yeah. So it's like my podcast I listen to, I get to the kids school early and I will have like a magazine or it's like, Ooh, what am I going to do with this? 10 minutes listen to meditation like you know maximizing that time and looking like you're saying okay I could hop in the subway and be mindless yeah instead I'm going to make this a mindful activity that I know will fill my cup get exercise good for my heart good for my health yeah and look at how you can use that time for yourself do you think that is what has helped you um with burnout I know especially in the social work field right such a high rate of burnout you know, what keeps you going and the work you do. I mean, you're working with abused and neglected children, yeah, right. And you have been for a long time, you know, what, I don't know if this was your experience, but for me, so, so Samantha and I both went to grad school. We both had worked. Um, I had worked with, um, homeless children, adolescents, you had worked with, um, you know, adolescents who had been abused and neglected. We went to grad school together and you know how, I don't know if you, you had this experience, but I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're abused. It's sad. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. Their parents suck. Okay. And then I had a kid 
Yeah. And then I'm like crying in session and I'm like, yeah. how could these, like I was re-experiencing all of it and it was harder for me so much harder. Not that it wasn't hard at the beginning, but you know, you just kind of get used to it. And then it's like, you had to re-immerse yourself into it. How was your experience? Oh, absolutely. I mean, a mom? That- spot on, right? Like, I think it's, it's true. Like all the work that I had done before grad school, I was not a parent. Um, and even like, you know, the group model that we use here at NYSPCC is called the parenting journey. And I was trained in that when I was not a parent and I was sort of like, okay, yeah, so I know how to parent and I know how to do all this <laughs> stuff. And, and, and you're right. And like, okay, I care about these kids, but I didn't totally under it. It's, it's not that I didn't understand it. It's just a different level when you have your own kids and you can understand or you can put yourself in um, or you compare these children to your own children, right? Like I, I think yeah. for sure, thinking about like, wow, if this had happened to Sonia or Eleanor, what would that be like, right? Um, so it's it's definitely harder um, in some ways to kind of think about it like that. Um, I do find it like helpful to utilize supervision, right? I have a wonderful supervisor. I've been very lucky in having really great supervisors, I think at all my jobs. Um, And so really being able to talk to them about the work that we do, how, and if it's impacting me, um, you know, and I think it's easy to say to people, to staff, right? Because I say to my own staff, um, try to leave it, you know, leave your job at your job, right? And leave your work at work. Um, It's really hard to do that when you're working with families. Um, So I think, you know, I have the boundary of like, I'm not picking up the phone after a certain time, right? Or I'm not checking email after a certain time, but I am thinking about the work that I do probably pretty often. Um, And so I just, you know, I'm, I'm aware of it, I think, you know, and and that I think it's been helpful too. I'm not going to try to say to myself, like, I'm not going to think about this because sometimes it does require you thinking things through um, in times when you're, you know, technically not working. Um, So I think just being like open and honest with myself is helpful in terms of just like, like you said, Jessica, like in terms of burnout, like, you know, just figuring out what, what do I need? What can I deal with? Um, and, um, I think when you're, at least for me working with kids, um, I am always hopeful about their futures. So that really helps me with having that, those feelings of like helplessness about the work that we do, like, oh yeah, we're constantly just seeing kids who've been abused and neglected. It's, it's, you know, it's not getting any better. Like for individual children and families, it is getting better. Right. And so that's how I try to think of it too. It's like the impact that we're making on the individual is what's important, right? I can't, I would love for there to be no child abuse and neglect ever anywhere, right? But I'm I'm realistic, that's not gonna happen, right? So how can we work with the individuals that we that we work with? Just taking it one case at a time, one yeah. family at a time. Yeah. You know, um, you got interested in this work, you know, what you said, you know, out of college, you started working in, in in this field um did you always want to do what you're doing Uh, or you know kind of what helped you choose this yeah you know I so I I was a psychology major in um in my undergrad program um and what's interesting so I knew about I always wanted to work with people I really felt strongly about like trying to understand what makes the mind work and why people do certain things um I I don't know if I ever if I really knew anything about sort of trauma 
I, I was really not familiar with child welfare, um, with either the system or the children impacted by it. Um, but I took a social work class in my undergraduate program. Um, and um, I also interned at a group home for teenage moms um, that was in Boston. And the experience working there, taking this class, I really sort of started to think about like, okay, well, where do I want to go with my career? And this seems like a population that would be interesting to work with. I feel like the work is important. Um, and so like I got a, an internship while I was in college at Good Shepherd Services at the agency that I ended up working for for quite a long time. And, and I never even heard of them either. I just, I don't even know how I, I feel like it was like, it, it was not like really pre-internet, but it was close. <laughs> like it was like the late nineties, right? And I was like, I don't know. I don't even know how I found that internship, honestly, but I found it. And like that, uh, I like loved working with the, the kids that I worked with there. So that was it. That was like, oh, okay. This is where I want to work. Yeah. Is there anything like if you could go back and give your 18 year old self advice? Advice, what would it be? Yeah. You know, I think it was so, I, I, I don't know. I think trying new things and being open um, to trying things that like are not easy <laughs> would probably be my, my recommendation to my 18 year old self. It's probably my recommendation to myself now too. You know, it's hard sometimes to try things that are going to, that you think are going to be difficult for you. Um, and I definitely felt that way when I was you know, 18, like in starting college, I wanted to do things that like came naturally or, you know, would be easy. Um, and so I, I, you know, it's probably the same advice I give myself now is really try things that are like out of my box. Um, because it's easy to sort of stay in, in your zone and like what you're comfortable with. Yeah. I mean, hard things are hard. Right. And, I've always told, I try to tell my kids that too, where, and even myself, which is like, I know when you look back at your career, you look back at the most growth or most rewarding, rewarding moments. And a lot of ways they were hard things that you got through and you're proud of yourself for kind of pushing through them. And, um, but it's hard when you're in it, yeah. you know, hard when you're in it, or hard when you're trying to do stuff. So I get yeah. it. I agree. You so, have all, oh, go ahead, Kel. Oh, I was going to ask, you know, so it's really cool that you, you both have gone into this profession and done very different things. And I yeah. think it's cool. Um, you know, you think about, I don't know if you, you, you talk to like college freshmen, let's say, and there's, it's so hard when you're in college because you really don't know where you're going to end up and you kind of have to pick a direction um, and you could end up doing anything right? Yep. There's no specific, like a police officer or fireman or something, but like mostly everything is a lot broader. But I guess my question to you, Samantha, is like, if you, if you would have chosen a different occupation, what would it have been? I don't know. Um, or what would you like to try? What would I like I'd to be try? Curious about. I know. I feel like I would do something like possibly in academia like I, I you know it's really I mean which is maybe I'm it's somewhat different like I, yeah. I think I would have liked to try to have tried like working at a university um I think you know it's it's sort of like a just 
such a time of change and at least in my life like there a lot happened I feel like in those four years of being in school and and grad school yeah. too but but more so undergrad like it's just getting outside of like your family and your yeah. comfort zone and like so much happens during that time I think it'd be interesting to work with students mm. um, in some capacity whether it was like and maybe and maybe being a professor and like like really becoming an expert in a field um I think would probably be really interesting to do and to try um, yeah that's cool I feel like that now I don't know if I would have felt like that like 20 years ago mm-hmm. like I think you know I feel like I probably then was so done with school that I was ready to not be there but um now looking back I'm like oh that would that probably that seems like an interesting like place to be and I was gonna say <clears throat> if you want to share the namesakes of your daughters and do you have <laughs> these high aspirations for them or, <laughs> no. or yes. what's going on? when you named your your girls I was like damn she's good oh I don't I wasn't thinking that deep <laughs> yeah so Sonia is named after Sonia Sotomayor um which is not you know so she so Sonia was born in 2009 which was when Sonia Sotomayor was I think nominated by Barack Obama um, to be the Supreme Court Justice. So, you know, she's she's from New York. She's Puerto Rican. I'm Puerto Rican. Um, she's the first right Latina, Latino, even to um, or Latinx person mm-hmm. to be on the Supreme Court. So, um, in a way, it was like very easy for us because I was like, oh, that's that's it. That's who we're naming after um and then we named Eleanor after Eleanor Roosevelt um just you know I mean again I was sort of thinking about people who are aspirational who um believe in social justice um who did a lot of work towards that during you know their lives obviously Sonia Sotomayor is still alive but um uh, and, and Eleanor Roosevelt is also from New York and my kids were both born in Manhattan so I you know but, but that's that story of where I went with both of them. Um, and I would love for them to really embrace, um, yeah, social justice for sure. Um, I think, you know, one of the really nice things about growing up in New York City, which I, I did not grow up in New York City, so I, I, I'm... I'm a little jealous of them that they get to grow up here because I, they're around so many different people yeah. um, all the time. And I, I think that it just, it they they move through the world differently than I think a lot of people do as a result, right? Like the kids in their classes are all from different um, ethnic backgrounds, different racial backgrounds. Um, you know, they they learned about like the Stonewall, my, or at least Sonia in middle school this Black past year learned about Stonewall riots in in like her public middle school right so I think it's just they learn about so many different people and they they are, interact with so many different people it's it's you know I'm hopeful that they will continue kind of caring about you know caring and about you're cultivating that, that yeah. right I mean you're taking them to protests and marches yeah. and trying yeah to they've teach gone to the women's to march yep and they and um we did some stuff for for climate change and um you know so they love Greta Thunberg <laughs> um you know it's That's it's awesome. it's again it's 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 it, I shouldn't say it's easy to do in New York but it's there right and so sure. um and I'm, I only know my experience, but I'm always telling Kelly, so my kids are Gen Z and Gen A. And I, again, I don't know if it's where my kids are geographically or whatever, but I feel like their generation is just so beautiful. 
like loving and open and just like totally open-minded. Yeah. They're like, oh yeah, this is the way things are. Right. And I'm like, wow, you like so rapidly, they're so rapidly evolving. I'm trying to. Well, they take it for what it is. So they're not like putting these like boundaries or binders or they just sort of are like, okay, they just, and that they don't trying to like put it in a bucket. I feel like that's the difference is like, we were raised with these kind of like norms that they don't have, which is awesome. You know, I completely agree. Right. Like for us, it's like, okay, we have to think differently. Right. Like for them, that's just the way they think. Right. I completely agree. Yeah. 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 Which I think, I don't know. I think it's beautiful and I, I hope they're able to maintain that. And I agree, Jeff. Yeah, like I think too, it's like thinking about it like maybe they won't have the same issues we have to resolve, right? Like societally, right? Like maybe they'll just like things will be easier, better, you know? Yeah. Yeah. On your, and then, you know, Kelly and I are always talking about and sharing about our journeys of self-discovery, our journey, our spiritual journeys. Are there any books, podcasts, movies, anything that you've kind of exposed yourself to that have helped you along your own journey? I mean, I don't know if in terms of, of books or podcasts, but I've found at least like going to yoga has been really mm-hmm. like something that has yeah. been, and and I will say, so I, and I, which I started doing when I was in grad school, like I had never taken a yoga class. This was actually stepped outside of my box. I tried a yoga (laughs) class. Um, but I have found it so helpful with being sort of mindful and reflecting on myself and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so anytime I can take a yoga class and just do that, it's really very helpful for me. I think exercise is big for you. Yeah. 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 I mean, you're like, oh, I just walk 40 blocks <laughs> from work. I'm like, oh. I was trying to do the math. Cause is it the same? Is it eight city blocks per mile? So is it five miles? Yes, I think so. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, it That's just awesome. takes me 45 minutes. No big deal. I would be like drenched in sweat. Is there you're a shower like at work? Ten, you're hitting your 10,000 steps on the way yes. there. That's awesome. There is the sweaty part. I'm sure yeah. the sweaty part. There's a, it's like in the, in the summer, it's not so fun. But uh, like in the winter, I'm like, I just get a big coat. Go. Yeah. yeah. But That's for awesome. you, it's that, it sounds like that mind, you know, the mind body connection. Absolutely. It's, it's really, you know, I think um, for me, like it, like even like you're saying, being mindful, it's sometimes too, like, just not just, just going and think and not having to like be thinking all the time, yeah. right. Just being with yourself. It's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that I'm, again, I'm just like, in awe of you and all that you do. You're so fancy. <laughs> so funny. I'm in awe like in of you guys too. High building in Manhattan. <laughs> Who would have known you'd be so <laughs> fancy um, when, when I, uh, I, I talk about you all the time, Samantha, because it was you, we'd have to do group projects in grad school. And I remember we got put together at one time and I was like, oh, we, I have to only work with this lady because she's amazing. Cause I remember I went to your apartment with you and Jason and you were like, I'm a smart worker, not a hard worker. And I had not heard that before. And I was like, that's what I am too. And we're like, did you do this? we both were like, I did this. You did this. You did this. You were good. Okay. Bam. Hand in the assignment. Like I wasn't like him and Hong. We're like, let's get this over with. Let's get this done. We have other things to do. And I was, so every time throughout grad school, I, I loved partnering with you. Cause we were like, let's just do this. Just do it. I, I completely agree. And it's so funny because I still use that term all the time. I'm always like, I, I'm not like, let's just 
get it done. Let's be smart. Mm-hmm. We don't have to spend like a million hours on this. Let's Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. I remember going to your apartment and looking at um, pictures of foot issues. That oh, injustice. Justin had. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, look at this. Oh. Foot like disease <laughs> oh, all the books and all the things yeah man so great grad school was fun. Are, <laughs> that was some fun times we were all learning yes <laughs> you know we, literally all of it like it was like you know our spouses were learning we were learning we were figuring it out yeah it was great that was fun. so did both of you were both of you with your now spouses were they in grad school at the same also, time you both yeah. were too yeah, yeah oh, we wow. all were in school Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Thanks for listening and joining us today. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Chasing Brighter or on our blog, ChasingBrighter.com. 